We're live. We're live. <laughs> we never get very good at that, <laughs> except for the hello that always works. But, all right, what's up, everyone? Episode 42 of the Strength and Success Podcast. We, of course, record it live on IG every Thursday around 1.30, and you guys can drop questions on here. And then it is downloadable. Is that a word? Downloadable every Monday. Yeah. It is now. Every Monday, you can download the podcast on any podcast platform. So if you can't stick around all day here, if you don't want to watch it on the IG, you can then download it and play it in your car or do whatever you want or when you're pooping. It's up to you. This is episode 42. I am Trevor Jaffe. That is Riley Presnell and her, her chest split. It's a, we always record after my bro day, so it benefits me. <laughs> the bro day pump for her. I uh, maybe skipped a set of curls today because I don't like them at all. Uh, <laughs> I write three sets a week and I end up doing two. But all right, this, oh, this is actually very fitting. So episode 42 is titled, Show Me Your Passion. And clearly I have zero passion for curls. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to go into what that means because, all right, so I'm going to be really, really blunt here. Everyone is full of shit to some degree. Now, bear with me, you know, when we post on Instagram, oftentimes when we're posting about mindset or we're posting about discipline, we're doing that as a reminder to ourselves or we want people to see a certain lifestyle and not actually have them know what our actual life is. And no one's perfect. Everyone has challenges. Nobody's a monk that gets up at 6 a.m. every day, prayers for an hour, does whatever, gardens the garden, whatever, and lives that lifestyle. Unless you're actually a monk and then that makes my whole no one's a monk thing make sense. But If you're a sorry. monk and you're watching this. Yeah, dude, get off the phone. But... <laughs> But it's one of those things that as a reminder of your actions and behaviors speak much more volume than your words. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever come across anyone's Instagram account who hasn't posted some type of motivational meme or discipline or new year, new me is going to be real popular this week with, with New Year's coming up. So it's one of those things where it's shut up and show me which is a little bit kinder to say, show me your passion, because I really don't care what people tell me. I care a lot more what people show me. Words are only powerful if they're backed up by an action. So you must show me your passion and you really need to make me believe it if I'm gonna invest as much in you as you are in me and so forth. Because if you're just telling me things that I wanna to hear to make me go away or to appease me, I can't help you because you refuse to help yourself. So you must show me your passion. Yeah, you also gotta you gotta walk your talk, right? So, like, I put up a lot of stuff uh, about mindset and <laughs> overcoming all that stuff because one, it's my background and it's what I like, and I know that a lot of people get benefit from it. But yeah, absolutely, a lot of these times there are things that I'm writing because it was inspired by something I'm going through or something that I talked about with a client or something that I'm experiencing myself. So there's nothing inherently wrong with posting a motivational quote to like you know, get you to the place where you need to go or remind yourself like, hey, this is what I want, this is what I need, this is how I have to do it. There's something wrong with that. The only thing that's wrong with it is if you're writing it and then as soon as you finish writing it and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna be really motivated and stay on top of everything, blah, blah, blah. And then you immediately like go lay on the couch and watch Netflix and you should be like meal prepping or you should go train or you should do your mobility or whatever. So if you're writing these type of things as a reminder for yourself and to help other people, as I'm sure the most people do have that intention when they write it, like I know I do. Um, but if you're going to write these things and you're going to say these things, you have to follow it up with action. And we always say like action alleviates anxiety. That's correct. So if you are worried about not hitting your goals or you're worried about um, falling short or whatever, ask yourself if you're actually taking the action to get those goals or if you're just saying that you want to do it. Um, words, words are powerful, but words essentially mean nothing if you're not doing anything with them. And also like... Uh, I feel in general, 
for some reason people think it's really lame to like be passionate about something or to be really, really invested. Um, you know, like when you talk to people and they like go off on a tangent, I, this has happened to me before, so maybe this is a personal experience. Like if I go off on a tangent about something that I'm interested in and someone kind of like makes fun of me about it, it makes me feel stupid that I'm passionate about that thing. Um, so if you're an asshole and you're making people feel stupid about what they're passionate about, go fuck yourself. Um, but <laughs> I've like, rubbed off on her nicely. Very, very um, cranky. Good job. But you know, like there's nothing wrong with being passionate about something. Like if you really, really love something and you like talking about it and you like doing that or whatever, then like continue to do that. Don't like dim it down because you feel like it makes you look lame or cheesy or whatever. Like somewhere along the lines, people think that it's not cool to express any emotion at all anymore. And that if you express any emotion, like you're stupid or lame or whatever. That's just like a caveat to that. That's something that always bothers me is like people dim themselves because other people can't handle or have the capacity to show that same amount of passion. Yeah, I've always said don't let people shit on your shine. And yeah. it's just one of those things where if you if you watch a NFL game and someone scores a touchdown, there's a celebration yeah. to the point where they're penalized. NBA, same thing. Major League Baseball, same thing. You're on a platform, you hit a PR, there's a celebration, same thing. And like Riley's talking about, when somebody's in your life that's like telling you your passion, your goals are stupid or meaningless, that person doesn't belong in your life because clearly that's something that you are passionate about. And show me, get rid of them. I don't care who they are. Bye, mom. Um, that's just me. But you know, show me your passion because that's gonna show me how hard you wanna work for something and, and how much you want to achieve it. And yeah, there's gonna be bad days and there's gonna be great days. But as long as you have more good days than bad days, you're heading in the right direction. As long as you're passionate about it, you're gonna get, you're gonna get there. It's just one of those things where, like Riley said, if you write this great caption, this great motiv motivational thing, and then you sit down on the couch, it was for not, you know? What's yeah. the point of writing it? It's better to act upon it. And so you see the people who are living the life of their dreams and the success, they're acting on their passion. They're not just talking about it. And I'm actually very passionate about that because I see so many people who talk about these goals and aspirations and do nothing for it. It's like no one can carry you through your own personal goals. Get your ass up and do something. Yeah, and like there, I mean, there's always going to be waves to like your motivation, your drive, and your desire, and your passion. Like, there's always going to be waves, you know. Like, like uh, if we're talking about specifically powerlifting, like life happens, and like training may take a backseat a little bit, or training may not be going very good. And like those are normal waves that you have to ride. But like if you find that whatever it is that you're doing, you're 100% of the time finding it hard to find passion for that thing, it's not the right thing for you. Right. Um, so you don't have to try to force something. If you are literally not passionate about it and you don't you don't care and like you're like, yeah, it's fun or whatever, but I don't really feel anything for it, whatever it is, whether it's powerlifting or whatever, if you don't, you gotta make a change. Like you're just kind of wasting your own time if you're not doing the thing that makes you feel passionate. Sure. Yeah. And other people will buy into your passion and help help you along that journey. So the, the more passionate you are about something, you're going to both find your people and those people are going to help elevate you there. So we always talk about that of getting your accountability crew, getting your five, your people, protecting your team, you know, take care of your team. These are all things that happen in a flow. You know, they, they don't just start because you make a decision. They start because you take action. So show me your passion, take action. Uh, I didn't put a Q&A up in my story. I said, I'm sorry, I was busy getting inked up everywhere and that was an all day process. So there was no Q&A, but we do have some extra ones left over and you guys are also welcome to, of course, drop questions on the live, which we'll answer. And uh, so we do have some questions from Riley's Q&A and some other ones we haven't got to yet from previous weeks. So bear with us. Let's see what we got. <laughs> right. uh, gluten hip flexors always tight after squatting. Any idea what typically causes this? So these are opposing muscle groups. Glutes and hip flexors are always tight after squatting. And it would be kind of impossible because of reciprocal inhibition for opposing muscle groups to both be tight. Uh, my assumption with that, and Riley kind of had the same assumption when we were talking about this, is that sounds like somebody who has like a good morning squat style, 
very poor bracing or very poor mobility and their chest is collapsing down and going forward. So they're hip flexing themselves into the hole and then having to back extend their way out of that squat. So likely that's gonna be someone who's probably good morning squatting and they can't actually feel their quads. Instead, they're feeling more of their low back and hips doing the work, which is more likely. And they're not tight as much as they are tired because those shouldn't be your prime movers. Those should be your prime stabilizers and your quads aren't getting much of a benefit. In a case like that, I would back down a little bit, not the, the load, but I would back down and regress the lift to more front squatting and more high bar squatting and really work on your both your squat pattern, but also your bracing mechanics. Yeah. Uh, torso stability, bracing, all that kind of stuff. Um, also, if you're inherently tight in both of those places, it might be a good indication that those muscle groups are weaker than the other ones also. Um, we also said that uh, you may just be really wound up. Like you may, you just, it kind of just sounds like you are someone who's like overly tight. Like you may need to massage or to like foam roll or to move. <laughs> move you more, know? crawl more. Yeah, if you uh, if you are someone who's pretty stagnant all day and you're constantly feeling like your glutes are tight, your glutes are probably tight because you're probably sitting on your ass all day. Yeah, you, you want to know how tight you are? Get down on the floor and literally try crawling. And if you yeah. can't manifest the crawl, then you are pretty freaking restricted and tight. And that's just a, uh, a lack of mobility in your daily life. You're someone who's probably very sedentary and sit still and you've created that shortened pattern. So it inhibits your performance because your patterns, your daily patterns are what we take on. So if you're sitting in a chair hunched over, that's how you're going to move. Yeah. And if Go you're the opposite direction. You're sitting constantly, your hip flexors and your glutes are constantly going to be yeah. tight. This is a question that comes up pretty often and people misunderstand it for what it is. Things to do to help butt wink. Mm -hmm. uh, first, understand that some flexion under load isn't necessarily a bad or dangerous thing. People make it out to be some kind of dangerous thing. It's not always a dangerous thing because it can depend on proportion. Some people might need to do that, how their pelvis is structured or how their torso is shaped or if a really, really long leg to achieve competition depth, mm -hmm. so to speak. You can compensate for that with a heel to some degree. But forever today, people thought that butt wink was tight or shortened hamstrings. And what that winking sensation is, not the winking sensation, but the winking action is, is a lack of midline stability and bracing. Mm -hmm. So when you run out of room because of the lack of stability, your body will tuck the pelvis under mm -hmm. to stabilize the load. So that's one of those things where it's an indication that your core strength or in your bracing needs to be improved and focused on. And uh, one of the few warm-ups that's shown to be pretty effective before squats and deadlifts is actually planks and side planks. There's, there's some studies that show like even 10 second planks, 10 second side planks can increase force production. You have the increase in force production from the increase in stability. So it's one of those things where people will skimp on those things or do them poorly. You'd be surprised how many people don't know how to actually do a plank because they think it's just hovering against gravity and it's really stacking your torso first and then hovering against gravity and so forth. Same thing with wheel rollouts. I have a video on my IGTV that shows the wheel rollout and it shows that stacked pelvis. And that's what your pelvis is looking to do when you see it tuck under, it's because it went into an anterior tilt first and then you ran out of room, but in order for you to get depth, it has to then tuck under because you were never stable. Mm -hmm. um, it's why I cue a lot of people, not everyone, I don't wanna get this twisted, but it's why I cue a lot of people, it's why you also see me, when I breathe before I squat, I clench my ass. Because the more I clench my ass, the more I'm pulling my pelvis down to that stack position before I squat down. I wanna make sure that I'm coming from a hinge, not from a tilt. Yeah, with the, with the planks, I like to program breathing planks more than just planks for time. Because what people will do if I say, you know, plank for 45 seconds, people will just hold their breath for 45 seconds. And like, that's fine. But if you're breathing, you're actually teaching yourself how to brace under load. Um, so with a breathing plank, you'd be taking deep breaths in and out, like you're bracing in through your nose, out through your mouth the whole time. So instead of just holding a plank for 30 seconds or whatever it is, you may be taking 
six deep breaths or eight deep breaths. So I prefer that because it's actually teaching you one to be patient two under load, because that's what everyone does is they panic and then they just hold their breath, but they're not actually bracing. So a breathing plank or a breathing side plank is really helpful. And like we, I feel like we mentioned bracing and like torso stability often, but it like cannot be overstated basically. And like, if you're experiencing butt wink, like Trevor mentioned, it's generally because you're losing your stability in your torso and like the, or tension in your torso. And if you think about your, like your spine and your torso, that's majority of your spine is in that range. And if it starts to flex, your shoulders are going to round, so that's going to round forward. And then your pelvis is going to round and you're turning into a C and then you have no more stability under the bar anymore. And that's generally where we see like the rounded shoulders come from and everyone good mornings it up and then their butt tucks under. And that's when you see that uh, butt wing sensation. So it probably gets annoying how often we talk about torso stability and like bracing, but it really does clear up like 95% of people's issues when they learn how to brace and stack under load, especially yeah. in a squat. So we actually got three questions here and I'm going to list them all when we get to them in order, but is it important how many sets per week? Thoughts on the WRPF drama? God damn you. <laughs> <laughs> and then depth before dishonor, which is Jerry, which is actually the shirt I'm wearing. And they just had a huge drop. I don't know what's left, but go check them out. And is your thoughts on using the plate-loaded leg extension machine? Is there a better way to target those same muscles? So I'll get into those. And we'll start with the, the sets per week. Is it important how many sets per week? Uh, very generalized, non-specific question. I'll give you a very specific answer for. In powerlifting versus bodybuilding, we're focused more on movements than individual muscle groups. Although we do have some accessory work that might focus on individual muscle groups. It is important to know how many sets you typically do or how often or how much volume you kind of do because that's one of the ways that you're going to improve over time is improving either the total volume of work you've done, improving progressive overload as far as the weight you've done or the density of volume you've done, you know, how fast you've done them and so forth. There are ways that we're looking to push programming and push strength development and being able to track and measure the total amount of work you do, yes. Now, the stronger you get, the less likely you're gonna have a high volume. The, the less strong, I don't wanna call somebody weaker, but the less strong somebody is, the more volume they're typically gonna have because they need to put on some muscle mass, they need to work on intramuscular coordination and so forth. They need a lot of movement practice and time under tension and skill to develop that. When you take someone who's say an eight or 900 pound deadlifter, they're gonna have a lot less volume because doing five by five at like 700 pounds is a lot more taxing and wear and tear than doing five by five for somebody who pulls 600 pounds and they're gonna be doing that with like 500 and so forth. So you have to think of that total tonnage too when somebody gets that much stronger as far as how much volume they need. We need volume and volume helps you grow and build and get stronger, but there's a certain point where you are so strong, too much volume can be detrimental. The way you measure that though is also kind of important because you wanna know, are you doing more than you have before? Because if you haven't done more or found some way to increase progressive overload, you aren't creating enough of a stimulus to get stronger or bigger or improve or faster, whatever your training effect you're looking for. So you do need to have some metric to measure to see if you're doing more progressive overload. That might come through more volume, that might come through more load, that might come through tempos and time under tension or harder variations or so forth, but you do have to actually measure that to some degree. You can't just go in there and say, well, I feel like doing six sets today. And the next week you'll be like, I feel like doing one set because you might need a minimum of four sets to progress. I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying you might need that. And you have to know that you've hit a certain threshold of work mm -hmm. to see an improvement. Yep. And if you've done like in the past, let's say you've done like two sets of three at 400, but this next training cycle, you've done three sets of three at 400. That's still progress. That's right. still technically like on a technical aspect that's still like a PR because you're increasing the amount of reps that you did last time. So they may not be as exciting as like 
hitting a 20 pound PR for a two triples or something like that, but it is still incremental progress. And that's kind of like what we're looking for. And, you know, while technically we are always in meat prep, this also kind of matters about where you're at, like the amount of sets per week kind of matters where you're at in regards to your meat. Like as you get closer to the meat, you're probably going to have less overall sets um, per week as the intensity goes up. But as you're further away from meat, you may, you will probably have more sets um, to get like the hypertrophy rep ranges and everything. Um, so it really kind of depends on where you're at in relation to your meat and what it is like the specific intent of that building or strength block is. Yeah. Okay. So let's go with the damn it angel. Let's go with this thoughts on the WRPF drama. So basically if you're unaware of what happened is the WRPF announced the PPC, which is pro professional powerlifting, something or other coalition. circuit coalition, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and their idea was that you had to do a certain amount of meats and they were going to list five meats. And that you were going to be eligible for more prize money, not just single prize money or event money from one meet. So kind of like a pro league for high-end powerlifting. The idea was for it to cater to many instead of just the same people who win the same meets all the time because they're at the top of the field. And I prefer that. I'd rather see a sport that caters to many rather than that just one caters to one. Um, I also greatly understand the implications that the other side who was pissing and moaning about it, that it may not be healthy or ideal for a powerlifter to do all five meets. Now, it's also a little bit ridiculous to expect a powerlifter to do all five meets because that's a lot of meat entry fee, time, travel expenses, preparation, the whole nine. So it just wasn't very well thought out, even though I love the concept of having this league concept. But to ask people to do all five wasn't really well thought out. And then the other thing was they dropped it on us with a seven weeks notice in a certain meet time, which although it wasn't ideal or fair, I understand that a sudden. I also understand that this is further growth of the sport long term. And I don't like it when, like, if you look at the tested side with USAPL, they run everything. And if you don't like it, get the hell out. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they use their political clout to say, if you don't like it, go somewhere else, screw you. And they screw the lifter all the time. What is cool here is some lifters kind of push back a little bit and then they rescinded and said, okay, we're not going to make that meet the, the first meet, but we are going to make this league happen. So there's a little bit of a compromise happen, which is great. They're not trying to screw any particular lifter or certain person or make a political agenda per se. They want to grow the sport. We do need both sides to sit down and communicate. That is important. Um, I'm not a fan of telling people not to support that federation. I think powerlifting needs more than one federation. Like I just said, when there's only one federation on one side, like the USAPL, they tend to be highly political and screw a lot of people over and you just have to sit there and take it. When there are other options and more meets, it pushes the quality of the meet up, it pushes the locations up, the venues come up. Uh, you don't get stuck in one fed, one way, one anything. The rules of powerlifting are supposed to be the same across the board for the most part, give or take a little bit. 2.5 meter wraps, three meter wraps, mono, walked out, whatever. But you know where squat depth is, you know how to bench, and you know what deadlift a, a good rep should look like and what the violations are. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of having more options makes better quality, more meets, more opportunities, and it helps grow the sport. People forget that really the foundation of this sport is everyone who didn't place top three. And I say that not to be mean, but the people who don't place top three are the people who do like three or four meets a year. You, you own a gym and it has 20 members and all 20 members are competing. They're the ones who are buying the apparel and the companies and the sleeves and the wraps. The people who are bitching and moaning about this get free everything. They get their free wraps, they get their free sleeves, they get their free entry fee, they get their travel covered. They're bitching and moaning about not having the opportunity to win an extra $10,000, so what? Cry me a river, I don't feel bad for you at all. You've already got all the money in the world and you charge people a ton of money for coaching. You're not struggling at all, so I don't feel bad for them. But I totally understand the idea of making it fair. Mm -hmm. So I do agree with them that the timeline wasn't great 
and there's more that needs to be discussed. But I don't agree with them that people should avoid a certain federation just because they don't like what they've done. Um, especially when you know you got pretty upset when someone came after your bottom line when, when someone made fun of a product that you sell. It, it's not right. So you have to look at this from both ways. You know, people want to compete. People want the opportunity to compete. And wherever is best for someone to compete by geographic location or time frame is where they should compete. We want opportunities to have quality contests that everyone can enjoy and grow the sport. That's the end goal right there. The drama can go to hell. I don't care about politics. It's not my thing. Um, I don't care about clout. I care about helping my clients and helping the community. That's really all I care about. That's why I don't get involved in them publicly. I don't usually discuss the drama publicly. Do you have anything you want to add to that? I do. Um, I definitely don't think that, like, I love the I love the concept of the PPC thing, too, because it does allow for, uh, I don't want to say, like, a more level playing field because it is still going to be the top people in the sport that are winning money. But, like, I definitely don't agree that it needed to be all five. I think that three out of the five meets, like, making it required where you do have to do three out of the five that they list for the PPC is um, what you need in order to be entered into the cash. Um, but overall, it it kind of just screamed of like FOMO to me, you know? Um, and the whole point of this, the whole point basically, I feel like in the last two years of powerlifting has been like, we want more, right? So we're trying to get people on ESPN. We're trying to get things publicly televised. We're trying to get bigger meets. We're trying to actually pay powerlifters essentially kind of in the same way that an athlete gets paid obviously not on that big scale of like millions of dollars or whatever but that's what everyone's been kind of like wanting to push for for the past two years is like we want more representation for powerlifting and bigger meets like this uh or not just not like this but like bigger meets that are happening like we're seeing you know this meet in july that's supposed to be really really big like showdown was a great production um you know the kerns are big like all these are really really big meets and they're kind of forcing everyone else to like level up to those as well and that is like initially what we all kind of said that we wanted. Like, yes, we want bigger meets. We want more opportunities. We want all these things. And it's like, okay, here, have them. But then the people that decided not to do them are like, but wait, I'm not involved. So I'm going to complain about it. And it's like, you don't have to compete at every single meet. It's a volunteer sport. Exactly. You choose when you want to compete. And like, you don't have to do every single meet just because you're the top one or 2%. And like, yeah, everyone wants to win money. And of course, everyone wants to do well and whatever, but you will always do better doing a meet that you want to do and that works well for you. So if the if the goal for the PPC isn't that you have to do five all five meets anymore and that you can just do three to qualify, then shut the fuck up. You know, like it's you still have three more opportunities to enter into these meets to get into the PPC. And if you're one of the strongest that is in contention for the money, then I don't know why you're worried anyways. You know, like you're you're going to get it, but the op- the whole point, <laughs> the whole point is to get more representation in powerlifting. Get bigger meets. Make us feel like we actually matter as a lifter who's taking a pro this seriously. League. Yeah. You know, like if you're in the top like three percent, you want to feel like, wow, I really had these opportunities to go. But then, like, you also have to think about, like Trevor mentioned, the other ninety-seven percent of the powerlifting is not that top three percent. Right. Like they're the ones that are paying for everything they're the ones that are wanting to do this meet they're the ones that are growing the sport they're the ones that are telling people about it and bringing their friends into it and getting their community going so like yeah we only see the top one two and three percent of people and those are the ones that are super impressive and those are the ones that we all look up to but like if you're not doing anything for the sport if you're not putting up money if you're not being a sponsor if you're not adding value and if you're not promoting the community in some way then it doesn't matter what you total 
you know, like there's no way for the community to continue to grow and it will continue to grow without you regardless if you have a good total or not. Powerlifting has grown over the last 50 years, you know, before they were here and then it'll keep growing after they're here. And yeah. it's growing because people want to create these opportunities and that's what's mm -hmm. making it grow. All right, so I'm gonna get to Jared's question from Depth Before Dishonor about leg extensions because I think that's a good argument right now because a lot of people have taken to doing more power building, which is not an expression I really love, but or bodybuilding workouts and thinking just because they've added more quad size or pec size that their numbers are gonna go up and that's just not the case. Uh, as in a newbie or a novice, yes, you need more muscle mass, create more cross-sectional bridges without getting too technical, more horizontal translation, and active miles and cross bridges and so forth, and the ability to, to activate high threshold motor units, but that's not specific to the angle you're training at. Mm -hmm. um, there is reasons to do things like leg extensions, like terminal knee extension can be helpful for, for knee tracking, lower intensity periods where you're doing a down block and you're not trying to hurt, you know, not trying to hurt yourself per se, uh, but the isolated movement of knee extension itself, no matter how much you put on the leg extension, isn't going to build your squat. It's not going to build your farmer's carry for strongman. It's not going to build your yoke walk. It's not going to build your deadlift and so forth because the force vector doesn't match it. So you're training muscles at that point, not movements. And you can see this, and I'm, I don't mean to call anybody out. I'm sorry if you think this is you, maybe it relates to you, but I'm not calling anybody out. But if you can like hack squat seven or eight plates per side, but you can't squat that, it shows you that the hack squat isn't building your actual squat because the force vector doesn't match because there's no load on your back, there's no load on your hips, you're going on a guided sled. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more physical coordination that happens in a actual barbell back squat than there is in say a pendulum squat or a hack squat. It is a great way, just like the belt squat, it is a great way to add more volume if you're looking to get more muscle size. It's not necessarily going to carry over to more strength because the force vector isn't specific. If I had a choice, I'd rather have somebody belt squat because at least they're loading their legs in the same or very similar pattern. You're not loading your legs in the same or similar pattern as far as coordination is concerned on a pendulum squat or a hack squat, they're easier. And that's why I see people who can do like seven plate, I mean, I said I wasn't gonna call anybody out, but I saw somebody who had a 655 max back squat at 275 as a raw powerlifter in sleeves bragging about doing seven plates aside for eight or something like that on their, their hack squat. I thought to myself, well, that's dumb. If you're a power lifter, you got better at the supplemental exercise than you did the main lift, which means you're prioritizing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So while machines have their place for training individual muscles or dealing with recovery or dealing with injury or building structural foundation, they should never be your priority. Mm -hmm. If you go by the 80-20 rule, those are the things that fall in the 20 not the 80 kind of thing. And so once you prioritize what the biggest beneficial thing is that's going to build your lift or your movement or your sport, those are the things you prioritize on. Um, an example of that, I'm working with, with Gabriel Vega right now, who's just destroying everything. And when we first started working, he's like, holy shit, you make me do so much barbell work. I go, what, what sport are you competing in? And he's like, huh? I go, you're competing in a barbell sport. All you will lift is the barbell for a squat, bench, and deadlift. I go, get better at moving the barbell. Mm -hmm. His numbers are exploding. And it's not easy, it's hard work. I don't want people who wanna piss and moan and, and complain. I want people who wanna work hard. It's gonna suck, mm -hmm. but you chose this sport. That means you chose the work that comes with it. Show me your fucking passion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his, his squat has gone up, his bench has gone up. He's now tied his sumo deadlift to his conventional deadlift, so it should be going up on two, and he's competing in the ghost clash. It's one of those things where if you wanna compete in a barbell sport, you have to lift the barbell. Yep. Stop taking the easy way out with accessory movements or machines. If there's a purpose for them, I'm not gonna tell someone not to do them, but they should never be your main focus. They should be like the last tier of that totem pole. Yeah, once you hit a certain strength level, I feel like that's when I start to, like you mentioned, uh, beginners need more like muscle isolation. They need more to like feel and build muscle, like a build, uh, 
solid foundation. So I feel like once someone gets to a certain level, that's when I will start to essentially uh, sub out those accessory movements or plate loaded things or uh, machines for more barbell stuff. So like if you're someone, if you're a lifter of mine who's noticing that you have more barbell work, it's because you're getting to a point where you are a lot stronger. And now I don't necessarily care about isolating your quads or isolating your hamstrings or whatever, because I want to integrate them into all mechanically similar movements. So I would always prefer a belt squat or uh, something else like that that is more similar to your actual squat pattern than a leg press right. or a leg extension. Like those things feel great. And if you want, like you just, we talked about like today is my bro day, you know, and that I pretty much do pull-ups, dips, and meadow six ways. And like those are fine to have also if you want to have them one day a week, but your priority is moving the barbell, getting better at the barbell. So um, you can throw in a pump day or if you have like an accessory day or whatever you want to do that. That's always good to move muscle, or not move muscle, uh, get blood flow and like do all that. But mechanically similar movements right. will always carry over better in so powerlifting. If, if you were to break this down into basic strength conditioning concepts, it's general physical conditioning, physical preparation versus mm -hmm. specific physical preparation. Yeah. And if you were getting closer and closer to your meter, closer to closer to your comp test, you need to get into specific physical preparation. The general is just to build your base level of conditioning. And once you're beyond that base level of conditioning, it's probably not going to benefit you to stay on the easier variations or machines unless you're dealing with some type of injury or right. you know rehab protocol and so forth. A uh, question from Dan, is it common, normal to have bruising, soreness on your waist from where your belt was from lifting? No, you're broken, dude. You're just you're broken. No, I'm kidding. Uh, actually, yes. I mean, if you're, if you're pressing against a firm substance hard enough, mm -hmm. it might bruise the tissue. It might cause some soreness. If you've ever gotten a deep tissue massage, you might feel some soreness because they were really pushing up the tissue and doing things. Um, put a bar on your back when you're not used to back squatting and low bar squatting and see those red lines or those marks or the callus skin and so forth. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's not abnormal. It doesn't happen to everyone. It just depends upon how your belt fits. Some people need a smaller tapered belt. Uh, for example, Jen Ratzinger has it where it's like front tapered. Hers is like three inches in the back and two inches in the front because she's a 114 lifter. She's really tiny. You know, for some people who have short torsos, the belts can hit their ribs so they get the tapered belt. It's just one of those things where if the belt is uncomfortable, it may not be the right fit or right size or structure for you. Uh, if you can't deal with the bruising, um, but you're going to get to a point where that's going to happen. The bar is going to bruise you. It's going to scrape your shins. It's going to scrape your back. It's not killing you. It's just, I'm going to be honest. I think it's because you're actually learning <laughs> how to brace now. That's also a possibility. You know, if you're honest. bracing and using the belt, you're digging into it. That, that very much might happen. There was a question down here from Jared. Uh, where was that one? I'm sorry. I don't mean to blow past it. There we go. Transitioning from a combo rack to a mono for competition, any advice? Mm. Yes. Uh, the mono pick is something you want. I have two videos up on MIGTV, by the way. But the mono pick is something you want to practice because that is such an advantage to not have to walk out your weight. But it throws a lot of people off. The combo rack doesn't usually have as much play as the mono lift. Mm -hmm. So when people are first trying to learn a mono lift, they have to set their feet first and then get under the bar. And because the mono can move forward and back, people will often pick and lose balance. Yeah. So you really want to understand that in a combo rack, you can put your feet directly under the bar where it's kind of mid-foot. In a mono lift, the arms are going to swing away from you. It's kind of better a little bit to put your feet like a quarter inch or a half step not a half step, but a half inch forward. So when you unrack, you're pushing back a little bit because that's what throws a lot of people off is once the hooks drop, once you lift and the hooks drop off, they swing forward, people end up getting pulled Pitch forward. forward yeah. So another tip is one inch too low is better than a half inch too high. Yeah. And that's something, as the bar gets heavier into your back, when people measure all the time, it happens every meet. Every meet, every meet someone's like, can you lower my mono hook? 
uh, attachment like one or whatever and two or three people because once the bar actually gets heavier than just the bar it's going to push you down a lot more so you want at least an inch of clearance really so that the hooks don't pull you around move your feet for a little bit learn where your feet are set for your squat and wraps um, if all else fails you do not have to use the mono. I had a lifter, Eddie, who was actually stronger walking out because he was able to set his feet a certain way than he was ever with the mono. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about a difference of him squatting like 722, I think, walked out from a mono, by the way. 722 walked out from a mono versus him only squatting like 688 with the, the, the pick because he just couldn't get the balance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ultimately, whatever's best for you, stick with. But learning the mono pick can be a huge advantage as far as not wasting energy or losing position. Gotta be honest, I would just... Every, every set, like every warm-up set, I would have someone pull the mono. Like if you're just transitioning, it's like your first yeah. time using the mono. Even if it's like one plate per side, <laughs> just pull the mono. Just get used to it. So that way you're <laughs> gradually increasing the weight and you're getting used to picking every single time. It's annoying, but you'll learn. Yeah. Um, Mike DeFasano from Recruit Training is like, what a concept, training for sport. Yeah, yeah you'd be weird, surprised right? how many people don't understand that concept. And they just throw a bunch of random like accessories and bodybuildings in. And, and you know, it, it feels good. Don't get me wrong. Feels great to have a pump. Riley loves her pump day, <laughs> but the pump day isn't what's building her bench press or her squat or her deadlift. It's just structural balance, really. I don't know those push-ups. <laughs> they, they might be. The They're in your day. main bench day. I want to argue that for stability, <laughs> but it's one of those things where you, you really have to prioritize yourself on your programming or your exercise selection, mm -hmm. on identifying needs, area of, of opportunity. And getting really, really comfortable with a bar or a yoke or a farmer's walk, whatever your sport you're in, in your hands or on your back. Mm -hmm. And the more you spend time on machines, the less comfortable you're going to be with that abrasive object in your hands or on your back. Yep. What do we got? Have you seen the pro show being held in a movie theater? What do you think about the setup? Oh, no way. I don't know that it's... Is it a... Oh, yeah, you're right. It is a movie theater. It, uh... They hold like MMA fights in there right now from what it looks like. Like I, when they showed it, there was like an octagon set up in the middle for MMA fights. Um, it looks super spacious and it looks like the warm-up room is awesome. It's like stadium seating as far as I can tell from whatever. Um, I know that they have like bottle service in a bar and like those aren't things that I particularly care about because I don't drink uh, and I have no desire. You should start. I'm competing. <laughs> um, and I have no desire and I'm competing and whatever, but um, it does look like it has a nice setup for a, like for a warm-up room. It looks like it's going to be uh, catered to the lifter pretty well. I don't know. Big arena is nice. It might be better than a sweaty gym or whatever. It could be a, cult, it can, could be a clusterfuck or yeah. it could be the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Uh, I think it's cool that they're willing to try it. Mm -hmm. I hope it's successful because obviously I want to see the, the sport grow. And if powerlifting does well in there, maybe strongman can go in there, weightlifting can go in there. Uh, the guy who is running the production of it has done USAPL meets mm -hmm. there that have gone great. So it's not like they're just trying this without an experience. Like He has experience running meets in that venue and doing things in pro-level shows for the USAPL. So now they're bringing it to the untested side, which is really cool. And it's it's more... More of an experience for the spectator. Yeah. Because as the athletes, you're going to be in a zone. You're going to be squatting, benching, and thing. None of that other stuff really matters. But for the spectator, though, because there are so many people who pay $20 to walk into an under-conditioned CrossFit gym to watch a power of the meat versus, you know, spending 25 or 30 maybe a little bit more, and you get to have sit down, an opportunity to order food, watch on a big screen if people are crowding you. How many times are people, like, looking over the shoulder or standing on yeah. the chair to see some massive squat? Here, you'll be able to see it on this 30-foot screen with in-person cameras and a live stream that people can watch. Uh, put on by Anna, Anna Perez. I think it's A1 Digital, if I'm not mistaken, her, her Instagram uh, for the production company. But it's going to be such a production 
for the viewer and the spectator versus the usual, you know, throw together in a backyard and, and hope that everyone enjoys their experience because this is an actual experience. And I think yeah. it's really cool that they're trying to bring that to powerlifting. Yeah, it does look like it'd be fun. Uh, I probably won't notice much of it, like like you said, because I'll be in the zone. Yeah, you know? if you're lifting, you're not going to notice any of it. I never have. I've been in, I've been in the meets with all different types of venues and different things. Um, and I can tell you, lifting versus spectating, you notice everything that's unusual when you're spectating, and you notice nothing when you're lifting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've competed in meets that had like strobe lights and smoke machines, and I never even knew they were there. Yeah. I think I saw, the, I think it was smoke machines that showed down, I didn't even know they were there until like I saw videos the next day. I'm gonna be honest, I can, I can almost, <laughs> I can almost never find the lights. Yeah, like, can't I can't see shit. When I walk up the platform, I'm like trying to figure out if there were lights, where are the lights, did I yeah. get that lift? But as a spectator, you see all the random weird things that go on in the whole nine, like, uh, uh, at the current, I was just wrapping people and coaching and handling people and wasn't competing. And I saw all the sparklers going off and the smoke machines. I was like, wow, that's weird and must be distracting. But none of the lifters complained about it. They didn't even know what was going on until no. later. No. no. All right. Um, best way to figure out the width of your squat stance? Oh, that's a good question. Um, close your eyes, walk backwards two steps, and squat. The best way to do it is to naturally feel out your proprioception and not have a predetermined outcome. What I mean by that is... Everyone says that you should stand wide, or you should stand narrow, or you should drive your knees forward, or you should drive your knees out, you should start with your hips back. None of that's going to feel natural if you have a different body structure that goes against what they're saying. They aren't wrong. They're just guilty of availability bias. And what I mean by that is what works for them, they instantly assume works for everybody else. So the best way for you to learn where your squat stand should be is to literally close your eyes so you take away that proprioceptive ability of your eyesight, take a step back like you're walking on a bar, squat, and just film it. Film it and see where your feet end up on their own. That's probably your most natural stance and where you should be. I had a lifter actually do this because someone changed her, her squat mechanics and her squat stance. And the first thing I said to her is that's not your natural stance. It looks uncomfortable and it's not going well. And I said, just close your eyes, walk back, take two steps and squat. And she did. And she's like, that feels so much better. It's, you, you don't want to fight a position or fight under load where you think your body should go. You want to feel where your body wants to move naturally and then just brace and create stability under that load and travel through that range of motion. Yeah. Not everyone is meant to squat wide. Not everyone is meant to squat narrow. Not everyone is meant to squat knees forward. Not everyone is meant to squat hips back and so forth. Everyone has an individual movement pattern. You want to find your natural one and then enhance it. I've got to be honest. If it feels wrong, it probably is also, you know, like, I don't know if you're squatting and you're like, oh, this, this feels shitty or this feels right. not strong or this doesn't, this feels weak or this feels off. Like probably right like you probably should switch something if it doesn't feel good um and you can't you can't like hit it you don't have any power or whatever just because someone told you to squat wide or squat narrow or that you should squat this way or whatever uh if it doesn't feel right it probably needs to be changed yeah so um okay favorite drills for hip mobility new to sumo mm. favorite bills for hip mobility so um Sometimes it's a level of static activation, being able to have stability. Uh, I have a video up and I talked about that, being able to learn how to spread by doing sumo wall sits. So those are great to, to actually teach you to have that external rotation while you're under load. That's where a lot of people go wrong. You see their knees collapse inward and their shoulders round forward. They don't understand external rotation under load as great because we don't practice it as much when we squat for the most part in raw. So I love sumo wall sits from different positions and heights because it will teach you to have that active external rotation under load. And the stronger you get in positions, the more easily you can achieve them. Mm -hmm. Other than that, same thing, loaded guidelines would be, you know, Cossack squats yes. for that. 
Believe it or not, I love the rear foot elevated Bulgarian split squat because it's gonna work on your hip flexor uh, mobility, but also your ability to activate the adductor coming out of the hole. Your adductor magnus is a huge hip extensor and we're using that predominantly on the sumo deadlift and so forth. So I love things like full range Bulgarian split squats as warmups, not necessarily loaded with much weight, just your body weight's fine, but full range Bulgarian split squats, uh, full range Cossack squats that can be assisted if need be. The sumo wall sits is kind of like, I hate to use the term activation because people pick on it, but that's really what it is. Uh, the, the better term would be potentiation. You're potentiating the position and learning how to create force within that position that will help you. So the sumo wall sits, the Bulgarian split squats to loosen your hip flexors and activate the adductors or potentiate the adductors a little bit coming out of the hole because you're in a deep position and the loaded Cossack squat. Yeah, I like the, I like the Cossacks, Cossacks, whatever. I like those because when, you, when you're shifting from side to side, you're focusing on pushing into your foot. Like mm -hmm. you kind of need to push into your toes on the sumo to externally rotate. So you're focusing on that. I do like hip airplanes too, because it takes you through internal and external, and you have to go through, well, mostly just external with sumo, but um, if you're not stable through internal, you're gonna have a hard time also. Right. And you're, that's when your knees pull in. So, Cossacks, Cossacks, whatever, and hip We should airplanes. ask Val, he's Russian. Yeah, like, Val, say it. pronounce it, Cossack, Cossack. He'll tell you, don't fuck He'll probably that. say something like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I Cossacks, uh, hip airplanes, Bulgarian split squats, all that. Um, Okay, general improvements for weaker sumo lockouts. Uh, okay, so this is one we, we kind of beat a dead horse with this one. If you have a weaker sumo lockout, you have a starting position problem. Yep. The lockout of sumo should be the easiest part of the lift for you because you have the most leverage near the top of the lift. Who struggles to lock out their squats? No one. That is the strongest part of the force vector unless you're coming from a really poor position. Yep. So if you have the position nailed from the start, then you're gonna have a much better lockout position at the top because the lockout is when your quads are in their most advantageous position, your, your adductors are in their most advantageous position, your glutes are, everything is. So chances are people who struggle with sumo lockouts tend to go into that anterior pelvic tilt and they lose their stacking like we talked about with the butt wink. They go the opposite direction. Because they lose pelvic stability, they start trying to lock out with their low back and that's not a winning battle when it comes to the sumo deadlift when it is 80% leg driven. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to lock out your max load with what should be only 20% of the work for stability in your low back. So if you're going into the anterior tilt while you're deadlifting, chances are you have a really poor starting position and possibly, possibly you have a little bit of a, of a uh, mobility issue with getting into a better position yep. or don't have the spatial awareness to get into a proper external rotation from shoulder to hip. Usually the further the bar gets away from you, like Trevor's talking about the interior tilt, the harder it is to overcome that. So starting position, you have to make sure that the more in line that you are with the barbell when you start, as in like your shoulders aren't too far forward, or you're not too far away from the barbell and it's rolling forward, the more that you are in line, the more tension and force that you have to literally stand straight up like yeah. a rocket. So uh, yeah, starting position probably sucks. On top of that, Jared's asking, would sumo stance belt squats help with your leg drive? I tried it one day to lift me up. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's it's not gonna help positionally because it's not the same when you have the belt squat on there as you would. But if you learn to actually tuck your posterior in into that posterior pelvic tilt, like squeeze your butt in and do the sumo belt squat, then yeah, you're probably gonna learn a better position and better leg drive. And really that's the key to sumo is leveraging your upper back tension and then just driving away with your legs. Um, it's why you usually see so much quad push 
from a sumo lifter versus a conventional deadlifter who uses a lot more back mm -hmm. in the lift and so forth and hamstring. So big quads are usually better sumo pullers, big hamstrings are usually better conventional pullers. I like that uh, cue from forever ago, like puppy dog, basically puppy dog with the sumo, because yeah. a lot of people start with an interior tilt and they're like arching their back away Pooping from dog. the barbell. Yeah, like scared dog. Not excessive, yeah, like scared dog. Scared dog, yeah. just like tucking you know, your butt underneath you a little bit. Slightly, yeah. into neutral, not necessarily excessive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, would you ever want to open your own gym? So I, I had a training studio for seven years and there's a lot I miss about it. Definitely that's where the community aspect came from. That's why, you know, the whole cult thing came from the community aspect. Everybody would get together, we would have events, we would do things, and I absolutely love that. It's great. What I don't miss is cleaning up other people's piss because they don't know how to hit the toilet and they don't wipe it up themselves. Uh, landlords, um, they suck. Landlords are awful. They're never gonna give you your deposit back no matter what you do, and they're gonna take you to court because they're hoping that they'll scare you enough and, and then they'll, they'll back out right before it goes to court because that they've spent their limit at that point money anyways is, is what they would have been so landlords are awful people peeing all over your stuff are awful people breaking your equipment because it's not theirs because they're irresponsible with it are awful and uh babysitting babysitting other trainers who are irresponsible who don't show up for their clients and do things it just makes you look bad so those are the things i don't miss uh what i do miss is getting to be a part of people's families you know they'll bring their kids in there you get to know their kids and their family they show you their their christmas parties or they're invited to their christmas parties or their halloween parties or their birthday parties uh, I definitely miss the interaction and having a place to go every day and having part of that my routine because it was a little bit easier when I had the routine and I wasn't working from home. I was, I was showing up to a place every day and doing things. So I miss the routine. Um, would I open my own gym solo? Probably not. Would I be interested in joining an existing gym? Maybe I would consider it if it's something I trusted within my partners, but that's going to be a lot of trust because... A business partnership is basically a marriage. You're with that person for the rest of your life as long as the business is going well. So you have to make sure they're on the same page and they have the same philosophy and the same ideas. But uh, yeah, Mike's are, Mike, yep, yep, yes. <laughs> so yeah, landlords are awful. People peeing all over your floors. Come on, really reach out and wipe it up. I mean, do it a single leg RDL. You need it anyways. But <laughs> learn how to hinge. But um, there are definitely times I do miss it and I get this like random hair up my ass. I'm like, I should open up a facility. And then other times I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do all that. Yeah, my you my can answer, join our show. Thanks. <laughs> uh, my answer to that is no. no. No, I don't want to. I don't really have any desire to. It truly is a labor of love, as both Mike and Jared can tell you. You know, it is a labor of love. You have to love your people. You have to love your community, and you have to love it enough to literally wipe other people's poop and piss off the toilets because for some reason people's aim is awful, and they know they missed, and they just don't it's care. Too much pre-workout. <laughs> That's the problem. They just get too tweaked out. I, I would like to think that my cortisol levels are lower having not owning a gym anymore versus owning a gym. It's maybe. probably true. Maybe. It's probably true. Um, I think that's pretty much it. All right. Um, cool deal. So we, when this episode goes live, I think we are uh, about five days out from the seminar in, Virgin in West Virginia. Yep. West Virginia. Um, so that'll be at Diesel Strength. Um, you can sign up obviously every day until the actual seminar. So if you want to go to the Diesel Strength Seminar on Saturday, January 8th, you just have to contact me, Trevor, Greg, or Diesel Strength. I think it's Diesel Dan yeah, on but Instagram. I think they're, I but think the gym is Diesel Strength in West yeah. Virginia? Yep, West yeah. Virginia. Um, so you can contact any of us and we can get you set up with that and how to sign up and all that. But you're running out of time if you haven't already and you want to come. Yeah. So come to Virginia, West Virginia, say hi to us. Uh, oh, thank you. She's like, no question, but I love you guys. Please support the Cultivating Strength 
programming on, on uh, Train Heroic Platform. The first week is free if you just want to try it, you just want to see it. The first week is always free on there. Support Culture Neutra. We, we, there may we, be we, a sale this oh, weekend. Oh, there might be a sale this weekend. Just for, saying. For New Year's. Just throwing it out there. You want to pay attention to that. If you're listening on Monday, you, you missed it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so for everyone on Monday, I'm sorry. For everyone now, starting this weekend? When is it? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow starts a sale. So pay attention to that for Culture Neutra. Thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it. And thank you for sharing the podcast. Bye.